the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and live sports than The Athletic. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of exclusive ad free content. For access to all of these stories and plenty more, visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription today. We are also presented by Balance Bridge Funding, providing cost-friendly capital solutions since 2015. Balance Bridge has dedicated professionals who can understand this industry and can customize a plan ready for you today. Borrow wisely and cost-effectively, avoid broker fees, and pay it back early with no prepayment penalties. Whether your client is under contract and needs a bridge against current guaranteed money, a free agent looking to invest in their next contract, or looking to borrow for any other reason, let Balanced Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you today. Visit balancedbridge.com. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Monday. It's a big baseball free agency segment today. Big one. I kind of pick through 20 to 25 of the top free agents, and I'm just going to talk. All right. I'm giving you projected money. I'm giving you projected destinations. You know, why I think one way or another, uh, you know, did the losing team kind of make a mistake here? A lot of team building stuff, a lot of CBA stuff mixed into this. It's a, it's a big offseason for baseball, for many of these players, for many of these teams. And by the way, it was a great 2021. You know, all the big boys kind of played nice. They were all involved. The Cubs sold when we wanted to. The Nationals sold when, we went, when they wanted to. The Braves bought and won, the Rays were in, the Yankees were in, the Boston Red Sox were back, the Giants, Dodgers, and Padres all had their battles. That's the kind of baseball we need. So I hope that three months of litigation and legalese doesn't destroy what we just had and that we can get back to some of the semblance because you know the Dodgers have 12 free agents. There's four to five good pitchers out there that I'll be talking about here in a few minutes that you know, are going to warrant some decent dollars. And, you know, there's six or seven shortstop slash second baseman who could be between 150 and $350 million contracts, all of them. So that's fun. And that's going to be diluted by the fact that baseball and the Players Association basically hate each other right now. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed that somehow that's a quick ordeal and we can get to this kind of stuff because as you'll hear in my voice, there's a lot to like here. There's a lot of dollars. There's a lot of what ifs. And there's a lot of, if this team does this, look out for this. I mean, that's when there's good names in the free agent market, you can really cash in on it as a fan, as somebody who works for the, for the sport a little bit, as somebody who's invested in team building and certainly the teams themselves. So I hate that baseball is about to dilute this whole thing, you know, this Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Freddie Freeman. It could all just be silent for the next three months because of we need to raise the floor and raise the tax threshold. And what if there's a DH? And what if there's not a DH? And we'll give you this, but you have to give us this. Please just figure it out <laughs> so we can get back to baseball in February and see where all these chips fall. All right, but first... I, uh, I've been holding off on kind of commenting on any of this because I don't know, it's early, you know, football is football and now football is a year, uh, excuse me, a week longer. So you kind of have to pump the brakes even more on this stuff, but the Seahawks are going backwards. 
and the Packers are not, and they just played each other and it was terrible. And if you bet the over, I'm sorry. And if you had any of them in fantasy, I'm sorry. And certainly if you own Aaron Jones of fantasy, I'm sorry, but it couldn't be a more interesting scenario here, right? Russell Wilson kind of floats out this trade me to these five teams. Then he backs away. Then we start talking about his wife and where she would want to be. And then everybody makes up and they're playing okay. Then they're losing. Then he gets hurt. Now he's back. Now he was terrible. He's got this is he's got three years left, including this year on his contract. So two years next year. Which is generally when early 30s quarterbacks who can really play get re-upped for cap purposes to extend them out to that 36, 37-year mark so that the team and the player are sort of aligned from an age and a contention standpoint. It's, uh, it's really dicey right now with that because, well, the Deshaun situation is what it is. It's, it's a who knows. And I, I don't know if I believe that Miami offered five first-day picks. For, I, I don't know. They're in, even though I, I'll say it again, I like Tua. I, I would give Tua two more years. But regardless of Deshaun's status, Russell Wilson could very well be available. And I have, I have to tell you, I think Carolina, I think Miami, I think Denver, I think Washington, maybe the Raiders. I'm missing, you know, maybe Minnesota. I, I, there could be San Francisco, maybe. The Giants, definitely. These are all teams, the Pittsburgh, excuse me. These are all teams that if Russell Wilson says, all right, I'm going to explore my options. They're all in. Okay. They're all making multiple first round pick offers right out of the gate. And if the Seahawks are going backwards, A, I think Pete Carroll's gone and he's been amazing, but guess what? Get him in front of a microphone tomorrow because he's great at that too. So um, no hard feelings there. Um, that would be step one. Now, does that mean Russell wants to see what the new coach slash front, whatever it is? I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. I mean, the offensive line let him down again today. Injuries a little bit. Metcalf is a shell of himself. Yeah. Russ is just missing Lockett. There's just a lot of, you know, and it could be rust after missing three weeks. There's no question about that, but it seems like the way this season is going for Seattle, that conversation is certainly not going away and could be amplifying is the point of me bringing this up. So to me, that has to become a real focus because yes, Aaron Rodgers is winning, you know, first place NFC contender right now, all that, that that's what the Packers are because of Aaron Rodgers. I guess my point is I don't even care if Aaron Rodgers what, what his decision is going to be yet because, hey, we're not going to know about it until it happens because that's his way. It's not even worth speculating, okay? If he's going to leave, he's just going to leave. He could win the Super Bowl and then demand a trade the next day, even though it can't be official tomorrow until March, right? That, that's just his style. But let's keep that away from it because I have a feeling that a younger, more athletic Russell Wilson will be the, will be what everybody cares about anyway. And it could, it could, and probably should supersede a Deshaun Watson situation. Even though the Watson contract is better, that's longer. You get more value out of that potentially if he can play. And if he can get back to form, he hasn't played in forever. He's been standing on a sideline with a clipboard making $10.5 million. So 
we have a real chance here to get, you know, Kevin Durant is available. That happens a lot in the NBA, almost every three years. Steph Curry's contract almost expired. James Harden's contract is about to expire, barring an opt-out. We get that a lot in that league. I'm about to tell you that there's quite a few good names in Major League Baseball who just let their contracts expire. We never get that in Major League Baseball. Okay, we never get the best player. Okay, and you can say Bryce Harper did it. I don't know. No, Mike Trout didn't. Okay, Jacob deGrom didn't. It's rare. And it really never happens in football. Okay, football's really good about holding down their own. But when a quarterback's in, in a, an extension available gear, which I would consider Russell Wilson to be after this season, and the Seahawks are going the other way, Whereas they really would have to rebuild quite a lot, even though they just paid a safety $18 million. I think there's a real chance that he's going to be sitting out there saying, it's just not the right fit for me anymore. It's been a good run. We won a lot of games. It took me 166 games to get shut out. It finally happened today. But it's time to explore. I think it's time for the franchise to explore as well and maybe start younger, start fresher, and try to you know bring the cream to the top at that point with a brand new arm. I, I do think we're trending in that direction. I don't believe that's an overreaction because I think we're ahead of there anyway, even, even with a little bit of winning out of Seattle. So we're, going, we're about to see just how powerful veteran quarterbacks on the move can be. Certainly it worked last year, but Brady's Brady. But if it works this year with Stafford, I think there's a there's going to be a real push for that with teams who are happy with their defense, like a lot about their offense, know they have to fill in some blanks there, but want to get this guy in first, want to know they have this guy, and then they'll build at the trade deadline. They'll build on the offseason. They'll do what they have to do, similar to what Tampa Bay did, right? They, they brought A.B. and Gronk in later, Fournette in later. They did a lot after Brady got there. Russell Wilson... Going to the Pittsburgh Steelers makes so much sense to me. Okay. Now they don't have an offensive line. So you want to you want to transition that conversation from A to B. But that makes so much sense to me. The the style of quarterback play, the weapons that they continually draft. I, I mean, they are just rolling them in, rolling them out there. Certainly the defense can play ball. I understand it's a bad time to be bringing them up as they just tied the Lions, but I'm not an overreactor in that regard. But many of the teams I just mentioned, many of them, Carolina, Denver, a lot of promising promising notes there. I'm keeping Aaron Rodgers away from all this. And certainly, if he wants to go, he's going to find one of these landing spots. No, There's no question about that. That's not even a part of the conversation. But Russell, at his age, with his ability... And in the situation he's in, because that's not what the Aaron Rodgers is going through. He's, Aaron Rodgers is not going through turmoil right now on the field at all. When he's out there, they're winning. So that's in its own room, in my opinion. But that's not what Russell's going through. And this could start to snowball. And when it does, I think it becomes a real conversation. And the Giants and the Steelers and Washington and Carolina and Denver, they're going to be chopping at the bit for this, especially if a veteran quarterback who tr- changed teams this year wins another Super Bowl. Let's talk some baseball. All right, as promised, I'm going to run through about 25 
of the more notable Major League Baseball free agents as we well, well, about a week into Major League Baseball free agency, some minor signings, extensions, whatever you want to call them, but certainly not enough to make noise. Even a couple of trades in there that we've been tracking, but it's it's always generally quiet in November. And, uh, you know, by December 1st, when the winter meetings get going and things like that, there's just some traction. Certainly the hot stove is rumbling a little bit, but that's going to be different this year because December 2nd, that CBA expires, and that's going to be the focal point. Now, with that said... Some of these names I'm about to mention have been rumored already to be linked to teams and linked to contracts. So there is some sort of think, f- feeling out there that a few of these notable big time free agents could lock in before that CBA expires for whatever reason. You know, maybe it's signing bonus built in that that protects them from lockouts. Maybe it's we just want to get our guy right now before whatever else happens. And then, you know, the pages turn and. When it's time to play baseball, we want to make sure we have this guy. I actually think that's the case for our number one free agent. And by the way, I've run through about 10 or so lists, including ours, of course. And it's it's pretty uh, consistently agreed upon that Carlos Correa is the number one free agent. And that comes with the postseason pedigree, the swagger, the age. He's got everything going for him. I got to be honest with you, and I'll, I'll restate this in a few uh, a few bullet points. Just from a mathematical standpoint, when I pump in the numbers to our algorithm, which is certainly not you know a perfect exact science, Correa gets good money, but there's this foot kind of being pressed onto Trevor's story right now. That is, he's a Coors Field guy. He's a little bit older. Why didn't he get traded? There's all of that kind of baggage linked to him that I think is dropping him down this list. And mathematically speaking, with just our algorithm, I know his war is not eye-popping. And if that's the metric you use, then he's not going to be in your top three. But for everything else, I use about 15 metrics when it's all said and done. Some of them combined. He's the guy and I have a feeling and and I'm going to lay out, I'm going to bury the lead on a couple of these projections here. I believe Carlos Correa is going to leave because every, every single thing is telling me that he's turned down two offers. The last one being halfway decent, you know, upwards of 150, 200 million guaranteed. My thinking is, and it aligns with what I've seen is that he wants to reunite with AJ Hinch and that would mean Detroit. Now Detroit is a good fit because that's not the old Tigers. That's not the Tigers of the last five years. That's just been treading water, spinning their wheels, bringing in whoever they can bring in and hope that some of these draft picks are ready to hit. It is time for those draft picks to hit. They do have a couple of pitchers. They certainly have some players who can play the field and and swing the bat. You know, Miggy Cabrera stayed healthy and, and for the most part of last year, and he's still at least competent and productive. But you bring in this kind of a player, this kind of a drop, this swagger, this production, this middle infield help into that team. And I do think that's at least one more step forward, one more rung up the ladder for that team, which is it's about time. So I, I do think that's the perfect fit. Contractually speaking, you know, I the, the algorithm that, that we use is sort of aligned with what Houston has been offering. And that's not eye-popping money. That's not money that he and his agent are even you know thinking about right now. So if I'm saying it's 150, 175 on max in total value, 
you know, he's, he's not even picking up the phone for that. The, the thinking is this has to be around the Lindor number, which was 341, you know. That's kind of the metric right now. I don't, I don't think he gets there. He's young enough to get there. That, that is probably the right. He's got all the ingredients for the recipe of a gigantic contract. And, you know, is somebody going to go 10 years at 30 million plus a year? Probably. That's probably what Detroit's going to have to do because teams like Philly, you know, maybe even the Mariners, some of the, one of those West Coast teams will have to come in and, you know, jack the price up on Detroit. If, if the consensus is that Detroit's going to do this, you will have other teams kind of bidding up that price as you see in auction fantasy drafts and things like that. I ha- that happens in real, the real world too, folks. So uh, I think it'll be way more than I want it to be, way more than the math says it should be. But at least we know that he is the complete player. You know, he brings, he connects all the dots. He's got the war, he's got the defense, he's got the age. He's the WRC plus kind of guy. He he does it all. So and you can put him anywhere in the lineup at this point. So I, I think it's Detroit, but that means Houston's about to lose their starting starting shortstop. So let's talk about that quickly because certainly that's the position of note here. You know, number two on this list is Corey Seager. I, I I'm not putting Corey Seager into the Houston Astros uniform because of the price because Corey Seager's aged closely to Correa. He's kind of a do it all guy. Now he does have some injury history uh, of late. Uh, he's got Tommy John. He's got hip surgery. There's a lot going on with him, but he is the WRC plus champ right now. I mean, he is almost a 170 in that regard over the past last last half season. He really turned it on, and to me, this isn't this is the guy we're going to put into our our middle of the road team that's going to take us to the next level. Corey Seager's the guy that goes to the contender. He's going to the Yankees. He's going to the Phillies. He's going to the Angels. And not that I think the Angels are a contender, but they're a major market. Um, and if not, if he drops into that second tier, St. Louis has to be thinking about this because he is their kind of player. But I do I do think it's a Yankees. It's the Yankees to lose with Corey Seager, and they will shell it out. And you're thinking, okay, well, they've got a shortstop. They've got a young infield. They just signed LeMahieu to money. You know, as we move down with a couple more names here, I believe LeMay, he was probably their first baseman of the future. And that opens up a lot of middle infield work for a player like this. Uh, Seager can play third if he has to. He can certainly play short. He can definitely play second. So I think it'll be a big number, 300 million-ish, 9, 10, 11 years-ish around there. And, and I do think that is the right fit. Let's stick with the, let's, I'm going to bounce around instead of going in kind of numerical order here, because what I want to do is go back to Trevor's story. And the reason I'm going to do that is, like I said, he's carrying baggage. I don't agree with it. The math doesn't agree with it. I still think he is at least neck and neck from a, from a total complete package that Correa is, that Seager is. And he doesn't really have that injury history. Yes, there's there, it's there, but it's not, I wouldn't consider that baggage on his resume right now. Um, he walks, he's got the eye, he's got all the things you want to drop into a ready-made team to just say, hey, here's our new guy. We needed to do this at this price. This is our guy for it. Let's go. To me, the only thing knocking him is the war. And I'm not big enough on war to say that's got to be better. We're not going to take him. I think this is the next shortstop of the Houston Astros. I think this is going to be something that falls right into their lap. So the, the contract that Carlos Correa just turned down, I think because of whatever odor that Trevor Story ha- is carrying around right now, could become his ceiling. 
even though I think Trevor Story is probably a $275 million player in, in a normal season in a better setting with less shortstops available. I, I love this player. And I'm not a big Houston Astros guy, but if they're going to make this work, if that's going to fall into their lap, I think it's going to be a phenomenal marriage for those two parties because you're letting a great shortstop go and you're, you may be getting a, an equally great one at half the price. And I think there's a distinct possibility that that's about to happen here. So I would put the Astros at the top of the list for Trevor's story. So there's a, there's a bit of a shortstop roundabout there. I'm going to go back though, because you know, this is going to post Monday, November 15th and the Braves still don't have a contract for Freddie Freeman, who was the MVP in 2020. He's an MVP candidate, though not a finalist in 2021. And he just won his world series and he was a major part of that. Yeah. He's going to be 32. He's shown some decline. I think he's not catching up to 99 as, as well as he used to, but every other number is excellent. And he did have a bad season. On his standards, he did not have a an elite Freddie Freeman season, but it was still enough to carry that team when Acuna went down, to stand out among a great National League in terms of hitting, and play above average first base as he's done his entire career. So uh, he's third in my list in terms of notable free agents that that are about to hit the open market, and I still don't believe he'll actually you know be speaking to other teams. I think it's still internal right now with Atlanta and Freddie Freeman. I have him basically signing the same contract. And I know that's that doesn't sound good to anybody, especially he and his agent. But I'm not going to go much, you know, I'm not going to get to that $200 million mark that I, I assume is what he and his agent want right now. And if I'm Atlanta, I'm going to hold firm on that because they've held firm on all of their major contracts. You know, if you look at some of these kids that they've, they've locked in, the Albies, the Acuna has mentioned, the deals look phenomenal. And once you get to club option time in those deals, with where the luxury tax, where baseball should be financially, if this thing keeps ticking, they're going to be unbelievable values, similar to what Jose Ramirez has represented for the Cleveland team for the last two to three years and, and, and onward here still. I think I'm not going north of $30 million a year for Freddie Freeman. That, to me, is the, is the number. So if, if you're telling me I have to go six or seven years on him, I'm, I'm not going north of two hundred, and I'm not going north of thirty. So if he's looking, for, if it's if it's you know years that he wants, it's if it's length of term, then I'm bringing down the AAV on him. That's how I'm gonna I'm gonna work this 32 year old starting to decline situation with Freddie Freeman. Even though couldn't mean more to the franchise, huge part of what, everything that's happened over the past you know decade or so. So I, I do think that that five for 175, 180 ish is right, but I'm not going north of 30. So it's probably going to have to be about six for 190, maybe at the most. Maybe that's the high bar that he ends up taking. But you're playing with fire there because you're you're leaving a gigantic hole in in a lot of areas of your roster, both defensively and offensively. And you would have teams immediately pouncing. The the big one to me is are are the Red Sox. Uh, I know the Padres have interest in him. I'm certain that the Yankees would get involved, even though I just laid out that LeMay, probably sliding over. It's just, I don't think teams are anticipating him actually getting to a situation where he's negotiating and elsewhere, but that would stir up the pot a little bit. If you know, he wants 200 and the, and the Braves simply won't go there. I do think that's what's happening right now. We'll see how that kind of bears out. The, the, 
after this, it's really kind of up for grabs in terms of ranking these players in order. And I've kind of put Trevor Story into this conversation earlier than a lot of these lists say. I mean, in some cases, Trevor Story is not even a top 10 free agent. That's crazy to me. That's nuts. This, that's not a 35-year-old guy trying to latch on one more time. He's 29. Okay. And that does seem old in comparison to your careers and everything. But in a normal free agency where there aren't seven shortstops available, 20, a 29-year-old shortstop with his pedigree would be the guy. He would be the premium free agent. So I just think that he's being markedly undervalued here from, you know, just from a ranking standpoint and, and from a projection standpoint from a lot of what I've been reading. So he's he's certainly in my top 10. I'm not, but I'm gonna make it a kind of a mixed bag from here. And I've kind of given you the big names. I'm gonna go Max Scherzer next, just for you know, marketability. <laughs> Similar kind of situation. He 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 moved over to the Dodgers. We thought that was going to be lightning in a bottle, and it certainly was. I mean, he didn't lose. And he held up from from a physical standpoint until that, you know, the middle of that NLCS when it got, or excuse me, the NLDS when the arm just went dead. And that's uh, that's not how it's going to be. You know, you, you got to take this into consideration because this is kind of where Verlander was when he jumped ship to Houston. He did have a huge impact. And then months later, he was under the knife again and not to be heard from until next March, hopefully, whenever he signs. So... There's concern that Scherzer's on a rapid physical de- decline st- starting point here, and that's fair. So how do you value this thing? I have seen so many smart, smart people attached to baseball teams, the league, the network, say that this is the next $40 million guy. And I get it because he's been undervalued. He, he's easily one of the best free agent blockbuster contracts in the history of baseball slash sports. Th- those just don't ever work out. When you're going long, big contracts in hockey and baseball, you know, what used to happen in the NFL and even b- back in basketball before the CBA kind of locked down that five-year guaranteed max. So you, you had some stinkers, some, some mass, massive stinker contracts, some of which are still being paid out today. But Scherzer didn't have that. He made an immediate impact. He won a Cy Young in Detroit, left in free agency, won two more Cy Youngs in Washington, won the, won the World Series in Washington uh, two years ago, and was traded for a bounty of prospects of which Washington will be able to rebuild on the fly with, in my opinion. So it was kind of the perfect scenario from everybody's angle here. But that's done. That's in the past. And like I said, I'm, I'm leading with his physical because that's never been an issue for him ever. And he did push himself at 37 years old and he did fatigue his arm to a point of where he couldn't go and to where he was a liability on the mound. And you can say, fine, he's going to recover. It's going to be a longer than normal off season because of the CBA disaster. He should be perfectly fine. We're talking about 36 million as the high average. That's, that would be a record. So for somebody to be saying that that Max Scherzer is going to get 40, I, I'm fine with it because Trevor Bauer thought he was going to get that and, and he sort of did in his own little opt-out kind of way. And, and we all know that story. There's no need to go into it. But if the Dodgers are going to punt on Kershaw, and that's possible, and if they're not going to bring back Chris Taylor, and that's likely, and if maybe they move on Justin Turner, which is possible, because there's some serious decline there and you might want to try to find a trade partner. And, and, and I'm just thinking luxury tax here more than anything. Uh, 
but I guess I can get myself to a point where you've reduced your depth greatly, but something that's something that the Dodgers boasted a ton of in 2021. So if you're reducing your depth and, and you're getting to a point where you can say, look, we're just going to take the Kershaw price and whatever savings we get on the Bauer mess, because I do think that's available too. And now we have X dollars to spend on pitching. And that means getting player A and player B in order to kind of fill in the blanks here, because they've already got three kids that they know they can throw out there right now with some sort of certainty. So I can get myself to 35, 32, 33 million a year. I don't think I can set a financial record for major league baseball on an average salary, nor do, nor do I think he and the Dodgers would want to do that. Why would you want to push your luxury tax situation in this regard, this way with one player who is certainly on the backside of it, who can, who will help you, but will, will certainly need to load manage whatever term you give him. So if it's a three-year deal, if you're saying three for 130, you know, 115, 120, if you're pushing that 40 million mark, as some people are saying, I, I struggle with that a lot because I don't know that those days in baseball are here anymore. You know, I mean, we, we just got over this Albert Pujols contract. I mentioned Miggy Cabrera, that contract goes forever and ever. And I just don't know that paying for, for what we've had is a part of this game anymore. That was an antiquated process. Most of those GMs are gone. There's, it's a younger, fresher, way more analytical thinking uh, you know, group of people out there, men and women. And I, I just don't see this being a part of what the Dodgers are, are all about here. So, you know, they do pay well, generally speaking, and they pay for pitching. They, they've showed that, they, you know, they're, they're doing things the right way. I just think going that big on this player, even if it's for a shorter term, two, three years, is a little bit reckless. And will there be a bidding war for Max Scherzer? Is it a situation where Toronto and the Angels and the Giants come in swinging huge? You know, maybe we'll go the fourth year. We'll give you a, a player option after two, whatever it has to be. And if that's the case, then is the answer that the Dodgers simply have to go higher in the, in, in the first few years. They have to make it a max, max offer of cash flow to disregard all the other offers that are out there. You know, if the Yankees come in swinging, if the Mets come in swinging to replace two of their pitchers that are about to lose. So because it's Robbie Ray and Max Scherzer and John Gray and a not super great, awesome list of pitchers that are available via free agency, you know, Marcus Stroman certainly in that list, but these aren't gigantic names. Scherzer and Verlander are still gigantic names, even with all the red flags. So you can get me over 30, probably on both of them on shorter deals. But unless there's a huge bidding war and the Dodgers say, we absolutely have to do this because of what we just gave up. You know, there's one more year of Trey Turner left in terms of team control. We can't, we can't just punt on Max Scherzer because we just gave up two of, two of the prospects that were going to be the next to rebuild model. So if they feel obligated to keep him, I guess I can get myself to 36 million, which would be the record. That's the Garrett Cole number. So I, I guess I, I can understand thinking that way, but I don't know why the Dodgers would have to do it is my point. 
if you're the Dodgers and you're this deep and you still have prospects you can move, then instead of overpaying for Max Scherzer, go via the trade like you've done so many times and bring in a pitcher in that regard, in that method. I, to me, though, it's not my checkbook. If what the owner and the GM sit down and say, it's easier just to throw cash out here than have to, than have to deplete our AAA system a little bit more or our prospect pool a little bit more. You know, that to me, that's the battle here. It's, are we going to spend with cash or are we going to spend assets? How are we going to keep this thing, keep this train running right now? Because they, they certainly have enough horsepower to get themselves into the postseason, but they need to figure out the right recipe to make it all work again. Fascinating stuff on Scherzer and both. And, and honestly, the Verlander conversation is so similar, but every article I've read and every tweet I've read in my own general consensus thinks this is going to be the Giants overpay. So if the Dodgers are going to overpay for Scherzer, their crosstown rivals, the Giants, are going to be doing the same for Verlander. Now, I don't think Verlander will get to Scherzer money because of the injury. And it would be silly to do that, in my opinion. But if there's a bidding war, right, if the loser of Scherzer, all the teams I just mentioned, the Angels, the Blue Jays, the Tigers, if they if they miss out because the Dodgers go all in from a cash perspective, Verlander could be there at $25 million a year, close to $30 million a year, because that's what it's going to take. Because there's just four or five options. And if, if you got to get one of them, this is your guy. Speaking of the Giants, I think there's no chance in heck that they don't bring back Kevin Gosman, even though that was certainly maybe a one-year wonder. They played their cards right with the qualifying offer. He signed it. He played on it. He played phenomenal. He did kind of you know lose some steam at the, the second half of the season. But he, to me, it was plenty to, to put him on a multi-year contract. He's aged appropriately. He's right around that, that, that free agent market you know, age. I don't think it's going to be a gigantic number. You know, Certainly not what we we're talking about here. But it could get to $25 million a year. If, if a bunch of teams are in, which all these usual suspects, right? You know, the Mets, the Cardinals, the Boston, Toronto, the Yankees, the Tigers are looking to go. The Angels are looking for pitchers everywhere. They're going to be in on all these pitchers. So there'll be offers out there, multiple offers from for all of these free agent pitchers. You know, I think Gosman's a 20 to 25 guy. And if it's on the higher side of that, then maybe you're losing a little bit of value. But to me, it's, it's back to the Giants without even a, a thought in mind. Same conversation for Robbie Ray. Back to the Blue Jays. They can't afford it. They can't afford it. It's going to be so hard to find a top-of-the-rotation guy this offseason. You have a guy. He certainly worked out there. You should be able to market him and uh, you know persuade him via cash, via the negotiating table, via whatever it takes to keep him away from the Yankees, you know, away from Boston, your, your division rivals there for sure. That's going to mean overpay. And if I tell you I think he's worth 18 to 20 because he just hasn't done this consistently – that probably means he's getting 22 to 25 and that's what it's going to take. And Toronto's going to have to sort of swallow that pill this year, because again, it's just, it's just not a plentiful situation for starting pitching right now. Okay. Sort of in the mix still let's stick in Toronto. Huge year, monster year. Marcus Simeon played third, played short, can play second. I think he's a second baseman from here out. Cause he's 31 years old, um, heading towards 32. To me, it's going to be about term, and this is why. He took kind of a prove-it deal last year. One year, $18 million, basically a qualifying offer, but he did it via free agency with the Blue Jays. So 
huge production, tons of RBIs, tons of home runs, good defense, kind of checked all the boxes. But I do think he's going to slide into second base, which actually helps him, right? And if he's the one marketing that and his agent, that's brilliant because there's plenty of shortstops out, out there. Get yourself out of that list. Get yourself into a situation where you're a utility guy who's preferring to play second base, air quotes, preferring second base because the second base market is weak. And if you're kind of just, you know, going through a form online and, and sorting by position and you roll up second base and Marcus Simeon and his ridiculous numbers from last year pop up, you're thinking this is the guy. This has got to be the guy. So in that regard, because he's the standalone at, at that position, I do think this is a five, six year deal. And, you know, if he's 18 million last year, you got to go probably 100, 150% up on that. So if we're talking six years and I'm talking of that kind of an increase, you know, I've got you, I don't know, 22 million per year is probably about right. So 22, you know, six at 136 at 135 is probably about right. Uh, I'd like to see it a little bit shorter terms with all of these players, especially with the new CBA. Let's see what this thing does. Let's kind of let the iterations of whatever the new financial system does. But for these guys specifically, they've been through the rat race. They've been through team control and arbitration. They are here because they want to be here and they need to go and get their money. I'm not going to stop anybody from saying, give me an extra year because I want the extra 22 million tacked on. It just, it's been a liability in free agency for baseball for a couple of years now. So for this class, it's probably going to look a lot like it has for the past few years. And then maybe next year, knowing what we know from the new CBA and how things may change, you know, free agency may dissipate because team control will, sm will shorten up. In-house extensions will increase, which should turn into more trades, more impacts, more in-season movement, and more discussions. But that's just me wishful thinking right there. Okay. Uh, Marcus Stroman, former Blue Jay, went to the Mets, opted out with COVID, came back, was good, very good defensively. I mean, he is a you know sinker pitcher, gets his ground balls, can play the field. He's going to do a little bit of everything for you. You can actually use the bat a little bit too. I, th I think it's back to the American League for him. And I can't imagine that of all these pitchers, okay, the, the Angels are going to get at least one of the names I've just mentioned. So I'll just slot in Marcus Stroman to the Angels because uh, it just seems like the Angels are going to have to get one of these guys. They, they swing and miss so much at that position. I'm just going to throw them a bone here with Marcus Stroman. And it's, it's a fit I actually like. So Stroman, let's say the Angels, let's say it's probably got to be five years because of all the, uh, the bidding that's going to happen here. He played on the $19 million qualifying offer last year. So I'll do the same thing I did with basically a Simeon. And I'll just throw 150 plus on that. And if we're talking 22 million a year, 20 million a year on five, you know, that's where we're going to be here. So I think that's probably the going rate. 22 to 23 to 24 a year should get it done for the Angels who definitely need to do something in that regard. Um, and then it gets real tough on pitchers. You know, I mentioned John Gray, who wasn't even qualifying offered in, in Colorado. Eduardo Rodriguez had some injury hit issues last year. He's kind of a middle of the rotation guy coming out of Boston. You know, I don't know. Is he, does he, is he the guy that the Tigers end up with as they start to make their push and they're looking for some veteran help in that position? That's probably right. So E-Ride to Detroit makes sense to me. You know, John Gray is interesting. I, I, he, he seems like the Cardinals type of pitcher. But 
I think the asking price will be right. If the Cardinals go big, I would not, that would not shock me. So for instance, if the instance where I said Stroman goes to the Angels doesn't bear out, is it because the Cardinals came in big for Stroman? That makes tons of sense to me because I think that's a situation where they saw how he was for the Mets and they said, we, we want that for the next five years. We want that player who can do a little bit of everything to go with our youth, our sort of our injury history, unfortunately, and sort of our pedigree. New coach, good front office, um, a lot of changes there. But I do think that one would make sense. So if Stroman misses and goes to the Cardinals, then John Gray just becomes the next Tigers guy or Angels guy or something like that. But he's going he's gonna to be priced right for, for those middling teams, the teams that, you know, the not major markets. Because I do think this is about $18 million a year when it's all said and done. I don't think he'll get to that $20 million mark. Uh, he'll be, you know, in that, in that later, maybe early February signing kind of, kind of world and uh, could be tons of value there. That's a Colorado guy. We've seen those players leave Colorado. Some do well, some are terrible. And there's not really a trend with that. It's just what it was and what it is. Steven Matz is the other name on this list. I, w- I was somewhat surprised he didn't get a qualifying offer from Toronto. And I'm also somewhat surprised that they didn't hammer out an extension because Matz struggled. He was very, very inconsistent with the Mets who were dying to keep him. He was the perfect Mets kind of a pedigree guy, you know, kind of grew up there and they couldn't make it work. They had to move on. So they, they shipped him to Toronto and there was instant success. And he did have his up and down a little bit, but not nearly as much as he did with, in Queens. So I, I think there was a, a good fit there. Now, if they're overpaying for Robbie Ray, they can't come even close to one of these top 10 starting pitchers unless the price comes down. So to me, the thinking is, and why you didn't qualify and offer him, go out there and get your money. And if somebody doesn't come out there and say, we're giving you 50 million or we're giving you 45 million, come back to us. We'll give you a two or three deal at a really good price. Something we can do at the end of the day to keep you here, to keep your career going, your momentum going, and certainly keep us winning. I think that's the handshake agreement that they have right now. They're allowing him to go and test the market without the qualifying offer attached to him. And if he gets overpaid for sayonara, you know, thanks for your service. If he doesn't, I think the Blue Jays want a chance to get him back in the doors. So we'll see. It's, you know, there, it sounds like that an offer was, was given from Toronto, which even to me gives me more, more substance to what I just said to you. They made an offer. They made a multi-year offer. It was probably crazy lowball. And at the end of the day, they said, go get more. When you don't, come back here. We'll take care of you because they do want him back. I can, I, I, there's no question in my mind they want him back. Let's talk about a couple of relievers, then a couple more position players, then we'll get out of here. Kenley Jansen is so interesting. So honestly, the more you look into the Dodgers and what they just were and now what's available on the open market, it, it could go sideways pretty fast with this team, even though they're very, very deep. What do you do with a guy who couldn't close 18 months ago and then turn it around immensely in 2021? You know, he's still very good. I'm not, he's not elite. He's not one of the top closers in the game. He's getting up there in age. He did make a good amount of money. So, I mean, he just, he just made $80 million from the Dodgers. So, you know, is this the one where he doesn't need that kind of money anymore? Probably. This is probably a two-year deal somewhere. We've seen this happen with with closers as they age out. 
you know, one of those years they're hoping he's great still. And the next year, maybe he slides into a seventh or eighth inning rule. That's a little bit simpler, a little bit easier to manage. I, I think that's right. Boston needs this, but I'm not sure Boston will. Boston has been burned quite a bit on free agent uh, bullpen work. So I'm not sure the approach they're going to take here because I do think they're going to be in on some position players, which is against a lot, a lot of what they do. They generally pay pitching in the winter, which is good business, but I could see them taking one or two big swings on the position guys. And then this move here specifically, just to say, look, we're not going to overpay for him, but we've got to upgrade Matt Barnes yesterday. And at least we can say we've done that and hope that we get that one year out of this guy where he's just kind of holding steady, holding steady, because it's a division. You have to keep the ball out of the, uh, out of the stands. Unfortunately, Toronto and the Rays and the Yankees are going to mash. So I'd be disappointed if they didn't address the bullpen. And if this is the guy who maybe the price drops a little bit because aged up, inconsistency up, and he's made his money. This is the guy. This could be the guy for Toronto. This could be the guy for Boston. I think he, I think that's probably right. Now, he may also want to stay in the National League if he can get one more year without a DH, which is possible depending on how things go over the next couple of weeks. But I do think, to me, just as a, as a marriage scenario, I do think that this is a match here, Boston and Kenley Jansen, on what could be 20 over two, you know, maybe a player option or a club option in that third year if they have to sweeten the deal a little bit. Look, it's a tough reliever set here. Tough. You can find your middle of the inning guys. Aaron Loops, a, a big get for somebody out there. You can also take some starters and convert them. You know, is that going to be Corey Kluber's role maybe? Somebody like that down the end of his line here. Mark Melanson, you know, still had it a little bit, but he's up there. And he had 39 saves with the Padres. So 37, he's made some good coin. He made $3 million last year and, and got 39 saves. I, I don't know why you just don't bring him back, San Diego. Because if you can double that and keep him, do it. But we'll see if he hits the open market. Ryan Tapera, that was an offseason move. Um, he's bounced around quite a bit. And I don't know that there's too much left in that tank in terms of the, the injury history, but this is the kind of reliever work that, that we're talking about here. It's not great. It is, uh, like I said, I think there's going to be teams getting real creative with this. Some older starters that maybe they're going to become openers for them, maybe become middle, middle of the inning guys. I, I think we're getting to that point, especially as the starting pitcher world of values. How do we find other uses for these guys to continue to keep paying them, keep using them? And oh, by the way, when the going gets tough, we got, we got to stretch them out and they got to give us six or seven every now and then. So that kind of flexibility and versatility is going to be asked for from some of these players. And I think careers are about to change here because of the way baseball is going. So we'll see. And Kershaw, I'll, I'll finish on Kershaw with the pitchers because speaking of injury history, speaking of legacy and that Dodgers team, that could be completely, uh, you know, a change of scenery for a lot of players. Let's put it that way. I think there's a one-year deal. I, I don't think anybody's going two years. To me, this is like a franchise tag, but I don't think the Dodgers are going to be the team to do it. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, they didn't slap the qualifying offer on him, which makes me think 
similar to what I just said with Stephen Matz on a very different level. We want you to be able to go out there and assess the market without that baggage attached to you. We want you to be able to go out there and if somebody wants to give you 30, okay, then you got to do it if that's what if that's what you want to do. There'll be offers, you know, the, the teams that are kind of, you know, Detroit might be in. Texas has spent so much stupid money and won nothing. That's a team I could see it do see doing it. But I think at the end of the day, you know, even though predictions say otherwise, I do think he returns to the Dodgers at some point, somehow, just maybe not this year. To me, it's going to have to be a one-year stint of where you just go and figure this out. I don't know where that is because I don't know that the arm can even get into May. I really don't. I, I think he is prolonging an issue that needs to be either addressed with surgery or just shut down completely. And that's tough. I'd, uh, I'd like to see him assess the market. You know, if somebody offers him one for 15 and that's the bar and the Dodgers won't do that because they have other plans the Scherzer situation, maybe bring it back a Taylor, something like that. They've got other financial plans where they just know they're not going to be able to fit in a double-digit contract for Kershaw this year. I hope he just hangs it up. Just, just call it a career. I think that would be the right way to go out for his physical demeanor and for his legacy with the Dodgers. But again, that's wishful thinking on my part. Okay, I'm going to fly through a bunch of position guys. Ready? Conforto, Michael Conforto, outfield for the Mets. At one point in time, the Boris client was going to be the next $30 million man, the next $300 million man. No chance. I'm shocked he didn't take that qualifying offer. I think he's crazy because I think he knows that the Mets are at least can, you know, division contenders with who they are right now and that he had his, one of his worst years of his career leading into free agency. His agent's telling him he, he shouldn't care. He's just going to go out there and get the offers that are going to be out there. There's going to be $25 million offers. He's going to take it. I don't agree with any of that. <laughs> okay. Here's what I think happens. I think he turned down one for 18.4 million. And I think he gets about one for 22 million max, max. Maybe that's with incentives built in and playing time and stuff like that. He's got a lot going on. He's not hitting lefties anymore. He's still a good right fielder. And that was something he wasn't supposed to be good at. So he's got a lot going for him. He just didn't have a lot going for him in 2021. So I, whether he returns to the Mets or goes somewhere else, I don't know why anybody would give him a multi-year guarantee right now. It seems silly. It seems silly, but way stupider things have happened. Let's put it that way. Kyle Seager is going to leave Seattle after a long, long time. And he's a viable third baseman. He's not you know, the power hitter he once was, but there's a lot of teams that could use third base help. The Mets being one of them, um, you know, a lot of teams in that National League East, honestly, could use an upgrade there with the Braves withstanding, certainly with Austin Riley now coming to the forefront. It's uh, it's neat that both he and Corey are about to hit the open market together. Now, I don't know if that's a package duo to the Yankees. Probably not, but it's possible that that's on the table, knowing that these two could want to link back up for their career. All right, what else? Bunch of Oakland A's, by the way. If you are in, uh, an Oakland A's fan... Uh, probably time to start rethinking your Jersey purchases because I believe there's two or three really good trades and a gutting in free agency about to happen. They're going to shed some payroll. They're going to re rebuild that thing. That started with the manager leaving for San Diego and Bob Melvin. 
So a lot of traffic, a lot of eye, eyeballs on that team right now, everywhere, pitching staff, position players across the board. And by the way, third baseman, Matt Chapman, squarely in that conversation. Avisal Garcia, Milwaukee. I thought he might get a qualifying offer. Uh, I still think that's about his going rate. All right. You know, we've saw players like Jackie Bradley Jr. come down a little bit, but, but Garcia can really hit with power. And to me, he's like that third tier of position player hitter that it's not the household name. It's not going to put butts in seats, but he's super solid and he's a multi-year guy. So he would not have signed that qualifying offer in my opinion, but he's going to get a multi-year from one of those smaller market teams. If it's Kansas city, if it's Miami, if it's back to Milwaukee, that's about right. Texas could be in on him. That's about right for me with him, but he's a nice player. That could be one of those steals that we're talking about in the middle of July when he's got Uber production and there's a lot of guys that are uh, kind of sitting on their hands still. Kyle Schwarber had an unbelievable month in Washington, you know, was good for the Cubs, was good for Boston, almost pushed Boston through to the postseason, uh, you know, all the way through into the postseason and through the postseason. I don't know what you do with this one. He certainly deserves a multi-year contract. Let me start with that. And that's not a player I would have said that about 18 months ago, but he certainly deserves it now. He has upped his game across the board. I think that (laughs) we need to be realistic about who he is though. You know, there are certain stadiums where he'll just be better at. Washington was one of them. Wrigley was sort of one of them. Boston was absolutely one of them, but I don't think Boston's paying for this kind of player. Boston was happy to acquire this kind of player, but I'm not sure they want to pay for this kind of player. I would love to see a reunion with the Washington Nationals, because, and here's why. It's really important. We've talked about this before on the show. It's really important that Washington plays nice with Scott Boris right now and puts people, a culture and a belief around Juan Soto that this is not going to be a strip it down and start from square A and we'll get back there as soon as possible. Because by the time they think they've gotten there, he'll be on free agency and he'll be signing $500 million with the Dodgers. Okay. So It's really important that that team makes moves right now that A, they know at least have a chance to work at that and that will draw immediate interest. And I know that sounds kind of lame, you know, butts and seats, marketability, but Kyle Schrober has that and big home runs do that and consistency, consistent power does that. And just putting him a familiar face back with Soto and look, they want to move on from Andrew Stevenson anyway. So there's going to be a hole in left field, in my opinion. And if the DH is coming, even better for Kyle Schwarber. So I'm going to put a multi-year contract around 15 a year for Kyle Schwarber to go back to Washington as a as step one in rebuilding the Ron Soto <laughs> credibility reputation. I, I think that's the right move. Now, they've got a couple of pitchers and an entire bullpen to go, but I do think that's a make-sense move. Chris Taylor. Utility guy, right? The Ben Zobrist of 2022. He's going to be paid just like Ben Zobrist was. 
I think Zobers got 18 million, if I remember correctly, from Chicago. I, that 16 to 18 is where it's going to be. Now, look, from a mathematical standpoint, he's worth like 12, okay? Because he just doesn't have everything you want, even though he does everything you want. But he's a war guy. He's a power guy when he needs to be. And it comes and goes in waves. It ebbs and flows. But he's got it. And that could mature. If he's, he gets into the right situation with the right coaching staff and he finds himself in the right lineup. And oh, by the way, who knows what happens when you consistently play him? Maybe that even makes him better. That's, it would make me better. You know, the, the bouncing around would drive me up the wall. So finding a home and an actual role in, in the lineup and in the field could make him one, two steps better than he has been. There are teams right now that have tons of youth that are pushing towards that contention contention window. And I think he is the right player for that. He is like an NFL team getting that one weapon, right? Stefan Diggs to the Bills. Beckham Jr. to the Rams, maybe, right? But that kind of a player who kind of does a little bit of everything, that's what Chris Taylor is. Blue Jays, White Sox, Braves, maybe the Mets because of some of the third base outfield holes they have. Certainly the Phillies are in this conversation for me. And by the way, you got to build up the Bryce Harper reputation. And the Cubs. If the Cubs are going to buy, this is their kind of guy. It always has been. So to me, those are the Chris Taylor teams. And because there's more than three or four, he's not worth 12. Okay. It's 16, maybe even 18 at the end of the day. And it's not two years. It's four, maybe even five years at the end of the day. So, this is a very interesting player, but he's a fun, this is a guy you want to be rooting for because he does it all. Doesn't do it all every night, but he does it all. And, and that's somebody you should really be able to hang your hat on. Okay, Chris Bryant, I'm going to finish with this. And I'm going to finish with him last because he's going to be the topic of a free agency. He's going to be the topic of the CBA because he's kind of the breadwinner for this service time manipulation conversation into how it's not just six years of team control, it's 6.49 years if you play your calendar right, and certainly they did with him in, in Chicago, as have many others. He's a big name, but I'm not sure he's a big-time free agent anymore. Okay, He's just kind of fizzled. Yeah, he won the MVP, and you know we all kind of bought up his rookie cards in a, in, in a pile, but I don't know that he's the complete player that we wanted, we we really wanted him to be. He's just kind of not hitting that ceiling. To me, the ceiling is lowered. He's still one of the biggest names on this list, and he's in, he should be in your top five in any free agent ranking right now because he's versatile, and he can hit, and he has done work on his strikeouts. He's not a war guy, okay? He's not a huge WRC plus guy, but he does play good defense. Seems to be a good locker room guy. I, I want him to stay in with the Giants because I do think that's a team that should stick where they are, bring back as much as possible, and then pile on on top. Almost the Dodgers approach. Just go as deep as possible right now. I don't know if it's possible. I really don't. I think those pesky Rangers, those pesky Mariners, you know, the Phillies are going to be in on this one as well, in my opinion. The usual suspects who tend to overpay in free agency when the time is right I think they're going to overpay for Chris Bryant, you know, to the degree of, I mean, I'm worried that it gets the 30 million. It shouldn't get the 30 million with Chris Bryant, but it could. 
it could. And that's to me is the ceiling. To me, that was his ceiling a year and a half ago, maybe even two. That's dropped down for me now. And I'm in the 25 to $27 million range for Chris Bryant. But I'm nickel and diamond here. He's a heck of a player. Any team would, would like to have him. Personally, from a baseball fan experience, I'd like to see him stay where he is and have the Padres, the Giants, and the Dodgers be banging heads all year long again. That is as good as the AL East can be when it's Yankees, Red Sox, and certainly the Blue Jays and the Rays now who are all kind of contention in contention right now. We need that East Coast, West Coast thing. And there, you know, the Giants would be a better team if Chris Bryant's there for the next few years. No question about it. All right. I certainly miss some players. I do have a free agent piece on .com. I will be tweeting about this more and more. As signings come, come in, we'll be talking about them here, evaluating them on the site. Any questions, if you need any projections put out there, at Trek on Twitter, I'll certainly be happy to do that. And uh, let's hope this CBA thing goes quicker than possible and we can get ourselves back into baseball in just a few months. But again, wishful thinking. All right, my thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Track for 40% off your first year subscription. And of course, Balanced Bridge Funding. Visit balancedbridge.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.